our marriage could end. Nobody wants to think that that could happen. I, I certainly didn't want to think that could happen. I also don't want to think that I could die. But I can, that just is the reality. And the statistics on divorce are what they are. And I don't think anybody gets anywhere by pretending reality isn't what it is, and that all of a sudden marriages are just going to start always lasting forever. As Christians, we were taught to be good stewards over our tithing and giving to the less fortunate. But when it came to our own personal finances and investments, we are clueless on what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about managing debt, leaving a legacy, investing, or even planning for retirement? We answer these and many other questions because we want to teach you how to be rich and righteous. If this is your first time to the show, we want to say welcome. If you're coming back for another spiritual refill, welcome back. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and this is Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. Welcome back. I am A.B. Ridgeway, the host of Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things, and my mom's favorite Christian financial advisor. With nearly a decade in the financial industry, I've helped hundreds of investors declutter their personal finances by providing investment strategies that align with the Word of God. So, if you're an investor and you want to learn everything about God and money, like we do, stay tuned because we will teach you how to become better at stewarding God's wealth, reducing the risk of outliving your money, and becoming the steward leader God has called you to be. And that is what we are going to do for you today because we have a very special guest that is going to shake off the stigma of prenuptial agreements. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know what you're thinking, but there is a stigma around the word prenuptial agreement because we usually hear about them when a celebrity is getting a divorce or when someone divorced is getting remarried. Now, I love the joke by Chris Rock that says that rich people don't need prenuptial agreements, but poor people do. He said something along the lines of Frank Sinatra has $200 million. If he loses half, I don't think that he was worried about living on $100 million. But if you only make $50,000 and you lose half, you're in trouble. But all jokes aside, I love this quote about prenups by Susan Myers, president of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. Every single marriage ends, either by death or by divorce. Do you truly want the state to tell you how your estate is going to be divided in one of those events? Now, taking control of your marriage is taking control of your finances and how they will work. And just like money, the money itself is not evil, but the intent behind the person using the money is. And prenuptial agreements are the same. See, prenuptials are not evil. But it is the intent of the person and why they decided to have a prenuptial agreement in the first place. As it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And our next guest is going to share a side of prenuptials that you may never have considered and hopefully give you a new heart and spirit around prenuptials. She's the owner of Caitlin Dillon Financial Planning. She helps couples thrive financially regardless of how they define what's mine and what's ours. She simplifies the financial conversation and decisions that most busy couples either do not have time to 
take or find too messy to face alone. She received her Certified Financial Planner's designation from New York University and one of the kindest spirits you will ever meet. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Kaylin Dillon to the show. How are you doing, Kaylin? Hi, thank you. I'm really happy to be here, and that was really nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. But once again, thank you for coming on the show. I'm excited about this episode because our goal is to help tithing Christians with gifting strategies and passing on their wealth. And they can't do that if they don't have any money to pass on or they don't know how their money is actually organized. So can you introduce yourself to everyone here and let us know who you are and who you serve? Hi, I'm Kaylin Dillon and I'm a financial planner and I primarily help couples who have prenuptial agreements already. And I also have been coaching couples that are working on getting prenuptial agreements. But the focus of my business is on financial planning and financial advising clients that already have them. I want to first let everyone know who you are, because I mean, in my eyes, it is your story that really changed my perception or my perspective, for that matter, on prenuptial agreements. So can we kind of start with that story? You have a, a wonderful story uh, about your dad and life insurance, and I was hoping that you would share this with us today. My first introduction to estate planning processes was when my dad died. I was 15, and his life insurance policy named my then stepmother as the beneficiary. But at the time, my dad had a divorce agreement in place with my mom that said he was required to name me and my sister as the beneficiaries of any life insurance policy that he had. And that was his only policy. That was my first time learning that there's no authority watching over our legal agreements to make sure we're actually following them. Once you make a legal agreement, you just, you're on your own to actually see it through. And I really thought that was crazy because I highly doubt that there was bad intentions behind anybody's actions leading up to this agreement being broken. And it's just, I think it's really easy for people to, to make agreements and not necessarily track and follow every detail of the agreements that they've made. So I have a question. When that policy went into effect, did they not name you the beneficiaries? Did she rename them to her children? I mean, how did that come about? I believe that we had been named correctly and that it my dad had changed the beneficiary designation to his then wife. My guess is that we were, I don't know this for sure, but I think that we were named prior to him getting married and that he changed it sometime after getting married. And I think the span of time we're talking about is from the time he was divorced to the time he died was 10 years about. I don't know exactly when it was changed, but I don't have any reason to think that this was like a plot or anything like that. It was simply just a, a plan that didn't follow the agreement. So I get what you're saying. There was a communication breakdown between maybe your father and his his new wife. Maybe, or perhaps he didn't even remember exactly the terms that he had agreed to in the divorce agreement. Mm. I really, I mean, I really, it's possible he knew, it's possible he didn't remember. Based on the number of couples that I've worked with that don't remember the terms of their own agreements, and I was, I mean, I fell into that category myself. I think it's perfectly plausible that he did just not remember after that much time. You know, why not change this to my beneficiary, to my wife? I'm sure she'll take care of my children. And there's not really, a, unless you have it worked into an agreement, there's not really a mechanism in place to check 
you can put that in an agreement actually, and I really recommend it, but to check somebody else's life insurance policy designation. If that wasn't in your agreement, it's not like my mom could have checked the designation on a regular basis. It just kind of was what it was. And then you, your only choice is, do you take this something like that to court? Do you, have, you really wanna have a family dispute? Nobody wants to have to deal with that. I think anything that has to end up in court is worst case scenario. Right, I think in that, in that case, everybody's grieving at that point, right? So everybody needs to focus on grieving as opposed to trying to go to court and arguing. 100%. So, so I guess my, my comment would be this, we talked about wealth transfers a lot. We talk about estate planning on the show. And, and some of us have, some of my listeners have attended my webinar where I talk about the biggest threats to your net worth are not poor investment decisions. They're not even taxes. It is a communication breakdown between generation to generation. And we're going to talk mm. about that a little bit later as far as the greatest risk being. A lot of people say, well, I, I, I lost two percent or three percent it's like well when you start losing 10 and 20 percent because of a wealth transfer or you're not passing on your legacy and your kids spend up all your money you're going to lose all of your net worth and everything yeah. that you've sacrificed so much for so obviously this event had a huge impact on your life and how you conduct business and how you help other people now you're married now can you tell us how that impacted the way that you approached your marriage i can't say it was all just that event but just experiencing divorce and, and more than one divorce in my family and experiencing the loss of my father all made me take getting married very seriously and it also made me i think be more pragmatic about the possibility that our marriage could end nobody wants to think that that could happen i i certainly didn't want to think that could happen i also don't want to think that i could die but i can that just is the reality and the statistics on divorce are what they are and i don't think anybody gets anywhere by pretending reality isn't what it is and that all of a sudden marriages are just going to start always lasting forever i would say i took getting married very seriously and i was young so i was yeah. kind of clueless about a number of things at the same time and we got a prenuptial agreement before we got married and going into that process i was totally clueless about what it would be like but i had no problem with the idea of it because i thought you know why not why not have a plan in place it seems totally reasonable and based on all the conversations that we had had they weren't detailed about what would this agreement be but they were about you know what would your expectations be if things didn't work out or like what if one of us doesn't work or what if one of us needs more help financially things like that we weren't having trouble getting on the same page at a high level and so i thought surely going getting a prenup is not going to be that difficult the professionals will tell us what to do and we'll just go through the process and we'll end up with this agreement and really quickly it was a stressful, tense process because we didn't really know enough about prenuptial agreements. The next thing we knew, we were communicating between attorneys and that was um, really difficult. A lot of people think that prenuptial agreements are just about money. There are other moving parts as far as court fees and um, who's going to have the attorneys and things of that nature or other different dynamics. And we're going to dive into some of those too. So if you're just tuned in, uh, make sure that you stay tuned because we will uh, talk about some of those aspects. But one thing I do like about you is that you have this idea that 
Financial advisors are in a unique position to help families proactively keep family law out of their family choices. And one thing I do want to talk about is that if we don't proactively take control of these finances, we will end up in court. And Kaylin is here to help you stay out of court. So having those conversations and making sure that you and your spouse are on the same page can help mitigate some of that risk. And I want to make one more point here as well, because you said a lot of great things here. There is a difference between probability and possibility. The probability of divorce is high, but as Christians and people of faith with open communication, the possibility becomes lower. So we cannot deny the numbers of what divorce really is. And we have to include those who are in the secular world as well. But if your faith and your spouse and your relationship is strong, you don't have to worry about the probability. You really have to focus on the possibility. And that's where she focuses her attention. She says, listen, how do we lower the possibility of you losing your spouse over money conflicts? Because we know statistically that money is at the root of majority of divorces. And let's just be very clear out here. And I love this having this very open, honest conversation, because if you truly love someone, you shouldn't be afraid to have those difficult conversations. The reason we're afraid to have those conversations is because we are fearful of what will come out of our spouse. So people aren't 100% honest. They're holding something back and we're afraid of that 10% they're holding. So if we can be open, if we can be honest, if we can pray and be faithful, the prenuptial agreement should be no different than a contract to buy a mortgage. It should be no different than purchasing or co-signing for a car. They're both communication mechanisms and they're both going to talk about what is going to happen if and then. And that's what our job is. So let's start at the very, very beginning for those who may not know anything about prenuptial agreements. Let's start them at the beginning. Let's assume not that they're children, but that they have no knowledge of the subject, but they have infinite wisdom. So if you just tell them exactly what it is, they'll understand. What is the definition of a prenuptial agreement? We'll discuss what they are and what they are not. Prenuptial agreement is a contract made prior to getting married between the two people who are getting married. And what makes it a prenuptial agreement is that it goes into effect upon the marriage taking place. So that is the definition. It does not have to be a plan for divorce. The majority of prenuptial agreements do include terms that spell out how assets would be divided in a divorce, but you don't have to. You could just have estate terms that say, here's what happens to my money when I die. And that's an especially good tool for blended families that are getting you know, married for maybe a second time or some a subsequent time. And they want to make sure that their families are taken care of according to their wishes, as well as their spouse. And a prenuptial agreement is a good way to do that. For those out there, can you give us an example of what that couple would look like? That couple is entering a second marriage and each spouse has children from a prior relationship. They probably already own assets. One of them may own a house, if not both of them. They probably already have investment accounts. They might even already have long-time relationships with a financial advisor or an insurance rep. I mean, they've, they have had established lives prior to blending their families and coming together and to get married. They have some things that they are probably already particular about or that they've already got earmarked for something. You know, here's a savings account that's really intended for this child because I already helped this other child. Or here's this inheritance that I already received. I want to make sure that goes to my children, not to my spouse. 
that may be something that is important to them. Let's talk about the compensation structure and like how that prenuptial agreement is set up. So, I mean, you have some very smart individuals out here. And that's one thing I love about this show is that our listeners are very intelligent people. They're doctors, they're lawyers, you know, those are people who know their craft, they've mastered their craft, whether it's engineering or whatnot. And some of them are just a little embarrassed to say that they don't know how all these things work. So, and that's why I always say is that we're not talking to them like they're a child. We're just talking to them as if they have no knowledge of the subject, but if you give them the opportunity and the information, they have infinite wisdom to figure it out. So a lot of them, when they come to you, how are they emotionally? Are they stressed? Are they sometimes calm? Is it in distressful situations? Explain that. A lot of times the first thing that comes up in terms of emotions is embarrassment, like you said. Especially if they already have a prenuptial agreement in place, they are usually at least a little bit embarrassed that they don't totally understand all the details of it, especially if they've been married for a while. I think lawyers mean well, but I can't tell you how many attorneys I've heard say, get the agreement done because they know it's good advice to consider doing one because they see what it's like in court. Um, say, they say, get one done, but then get married, file it away, never look at it again. And I think it's, I, I don't know where this came from, but I've heard it from multiple attorneys. And I think it, the, the intention is good, but they're just trying to help people consider something that has a lot of stigma and like whatever can get someone to consider it is good. But really you shouldn't just file it away and you should make an agreement that you feel really good about, ideally. Be willing to revisit it. That means like be willing to revisit the terms to make sure you remember what they are. It's the same reason we review our wills and our trusts on a regular basis. It's the same reason your financial advisor reminds you to check your beneficiaries on a regular basis. It's amazing just things we forget, things that fall through the cracks, things that have changed in our lives and then we don't realize that mattered to my will or to my trust or to my prenuptial agreement. So ideally, you should agree to something you feel good about and you're happy to revisit on a regular basis. As you talk about prenuptial agreements and what they are and the evolution of them, it's like a financial plan. Like you said before, it's going to evolve. Your marriage is going to do the same thing. And I was kind of, I was kind of laughing kind of behind the mic when you said, these lawyers tell you to have these prenuptial agreements, put it in a drawer and, you know, forget about it. And yes, that is a great step, right? That's a great first step, but that's not the only step that you have to make. And I really like that because I feel like, as we said earlier in the conversation, it's the intent behind the person that determines how effective this prenuptial agreement is going to be. And people feel that what you wrote 10 years ago is how you feel today. Maybe you want to give them more money. Maybe you want to change allocations. Maybe a new child is in, in the scenario and you want to give that child some money as well. Or maybe, you know, they had a stepchild and you didn't know, you know, at the very beginning if you were going to adopt this into the whole family. And now you're like, you know what, let me give them some some more money. I've grown to, to love them and care about them and, and they respect the family unit that we have. So it is evolving. And I just think a lot of people think it is a dead document when it's really a living document. Can you take us through a scenario? Let's say that um, somebody comes to you. Do you have an example of where somebody's come to you, they've needed some help, you've engaged with them, you've resolved that problem, and how did that transform that relationship um, using that prenuptial agreement? I had a couple that came to me, we'll call them Lauren and Matthew. And 
they d they weren't bringing up the prenup as like their primary concern. Really what they wanted help with is just figuring out how do we make sure we're making the right choices. They had income from a few different places. Lauren had a share of a family business, so she had a little bit of income from that in addition to her employment income. And Matthew had stock compensation, which they found overwhelming and that's a whole other subject that people are very intelligent people are embarrassed to say they don't understand and a lot of financial advisors don't understand so i'd really like to just <laughs> help people know that that is totally reasonable and they didn't know you know when we do have cash like what's the best choice to even make with this money should i be saving it for our daughter's college savings should i be keeping it in cash for a purchase you know they weren't sure like how to be sure they were really optimizing their choices. And it felt like the choices in front of them were starting to be just like more, they had graduated to another level that was a little outside their comfort zone, less easy to Google. So working through some of that, it, you know, we did make sure that we were looking at their prenuptial agreement and it hadn't occurred to them to do that. But you know, that does really matter because if they have agreed that something should remain separate property, that's going to matter how you title an account, for instance. They felt, I think, really happy and relieved that we included this agreement in their plan because they were both, they were kind of in my situation, like they were both totally fine with the idea of getting one, but they didn't feel totally free of that stigma. So they didn't feel comfortable talking about it. They felt like it was something they shouldn't bring up in conversation. And it was because it was Lauren's family that first suggested this prenuptial agreement. There was also this feeling that, you know, maybe it wasn't totally like their decision to have gotten this agreement. I think they just felt really relieved to realize that they did have an agreement in place that made sense to both of them and that they didn't have to feel ashamed of. And not only that, like they could feel like, okay, we're taking this thing and treating it like adults should and we're going to put it in our financial plan and we're going to monitor it. And if we need to change it later, we'll change it and just took the lid off of this idea that it shouldn't be talked about. I think that alone was really valuable to them. It didn't have a drastic impact on their financial plan, but some of the little things really matter a lot when it comes to a legal agreement, like how you title an account. That's a whole can of worms there. And I'll just briefly touch on a few things. A lot of people think that this prenuptial agreement is just to divide assets. Okay, you get this and you get that, but sometimes, think about it, it can protect your family as well. Because if you're in a very litigious industry, let's say that you're uh, in law and you get sued a lot, having a prenuptial agreement in place can protect some of your assets from being sued and being taken. And so sometimes you're even protecting the family. Can you speak a little bit about that aspect of protecting the assets from other creditors and things of that nature having a prenuptial agreement in place. If you have named something as separate, then your spouse is not responsible for it. So yeah, if, if somebody's coming after you in a lawsuit or a creditor is coming after you for debt that was named as separate debt, they can't. And uh, in, you, in your agreement, you can include terms that make sure that applies even if your spouse dies. So you could be making sure that your spouse is not responsible for your debts or 
for maybe a lawsuit or something that has come up uh, after you've died. And I think that could be a really beautiful gift because again, that is another example of like the last thing a grieving family wants to deal with is a lawsuit or creditors. And I love this aspect because we don't talk about this aspect a lot, right? No. We don't talk about protecting our loved ones in case something happens to us or, you know, people come after us. So this prenuptial agreement is not this whole negative thing. Sometimes we want to make sure that if one spouse goes broke, all of us don't go broke and we can rebuild together. Yeah. So let's take a jump here. We're going to go over some challenges and I just want you to get some feedback on some of these typical challenges that we face with people who have prenuptial agreements. So the first one is as people who have a prenuptial agreement or separate interest, married later in life, already have financial mm -hmm. advisors. One has a relationship. They have separate moving parts that made it too complicated to plan together. They're just a little bit too mm. different. So can you address this couple and give them some advice and say, okay, if you're in this situation, like I said, you're married later in life, um, you already have some financial advisors and things going on. How do you bring those people together? When you're in that situation, it can feel so messy. It can feel like just the path of least resistance is to just kind of have separate plans. And I think there are a lot of financial advisors that kind of press that approach as well. Like if you have significant separate assets that you don't plan on going to your spouse, for instance, it's already earmarked for your children or some other intent. There are a lot of financial advisors that will tend to say, well, then you've got two separate financial plans. And I would say, even, if, even though it can really feel too messy, it's really not that difficult to get a joint plan together and, and plan your future together, have a future vision that you share. That can still include separate goals that you don't share. But the overarching picture that you are creating for your future can be one that you create together. It's not that difficult to help a couple make that plan together. I think uh, it's kind of small stuff, like make, uh, making transparency easier, for instance. Like, um, I make sure that all of my communications go to both spouses. And that's just period. So if I have a phone call with one client, one spouse, when I go to type up those notes, a copy of the notes go to both spouses, always, every time. There's no secret conversation happening. And I, I think in most, for most couples, there's no secret conversation that someone's even desiring to have. It's just, you know, we're just trying to be efficient. We're all busy. Sometimes it's easier for one spouse to make the call or send the email. But that doesn't mean that someone needs to be out of the loop. So sometimes it's some of these little things that just help encourage transparency and just a, the, a little more ease in the process of having a joint plan. You know, I love this, right? Because at the very, very beginning, and I keep going back to the beginning because we have this negative connotation around prenuptial agreements. And I told you we're going to break this apart. So we're halfway through now, but we're breaking this thing apart piece by piece by piece. And I, there was something, a nuance that I want my listeners to hear. She said, general financial planners tend to take your recommendation and make two separate plans. You have your stuff. She has her stuff, right? Or vice versa. She has her stuff. He has his stuff, right? But the thing is, when you come to her firm, she says, I want y'all together. So she's the prenuptial agreement expert 
And she's the one that's telling you that you need to combine your assets and communicate and to get stronger in your marriage and your ability to share information. Do you see that? So you may be fretful like, well, I don't want to go to a prenuptial agreement expert because she's going to want us to be separate. She's going to want us to, you know, separate our assets and try to, you know, no, let's break down that misconception once again. She's actually doing the opposite of what the industry standard is. So I want you to listen to this here because we're going to go a couple more examples. If, if you don't mind, is that okay? Sure. Perfect. Perfect. So what about that blended family? Second marriage, they have separate assets. You know, this whole blended family is, is not the same thing that we see in movies and, and cultures, right? But the thing is, a blended family is not necessarily unique. And when we talk about statistically, oh, no. so can you speak a little bit about that? Right. Yeah. One of the top concerns that come up for blended families is how do we how do we divide our resources on an ongoing basis in a way that's fair to our children especially if the two spouses that have come together have different numbers of children say somebody has three and somebody has one how do you treat them fairly and that looks really different for every family so this is another one of these things where you have not landed on a good plan until everybody feels good about it and that's how i feel about prenuptial agreements too um, a lot of times when couples are coming from different places like i think this is how we should fund college for the kids no i and i think this is how we should fund college i think they should have to stay, take out student loans i think we should try to fund as much of it as possible I think a lot of couples think when they, if they bring that problem to someone else, a professional or a financial planner, that they're going to tell them to compromise and meet in the middle. Well, let's shoot to try to fund half of the college expense. That's not a reasonable solution if you don't both feel good about it. And I can almost guarantee you, if those are your starting points, you're not going to feel good. About, neither party is going to feel good about funding 50%. They will both feel like they lost. So when it comes to prenuptial agreements and blended families, figuring out how to divide up money to be fair, things like that, really what, the, what most couples need to do is stop and take some steps back yes. and figure out, you know, what's underneath those desires? What, why? You know, what's your motivation with wanting to fund all, as much mm. of the college expenses as possible? What is your motivation for thinking they need to take out loans? If you, the, the further down you can dig and get at really what's underneath those desires, I promise you there are solutions that can feel good and, and feel like you are addressing both of those desires. I love that. I, it might not have anything to do with like exactly how much is in the college savings account, but right. there are solutions. Because we're talking about self-reflection and you're asking people to identify their intentions and put their intentions on the table and not just their checkbook. I love that because right. it's that difference between equality and equity. You know, what is equal versus uh, what is fair. Yeah. And I'm going to make this point. Um, I heard a saying a while ago, um, if somebody's heard it or they can quote the author, please tag them or something like that. <laughs> Let me know where I got it from. But the idea is that if you love your children equally, you will deal with them uniquely. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that each child has a special need that they need to be fulfilled. 
and they're not all the same. I have a daughter. She's, she's 12 years old at the time. She has different needs than my son, who's 11, and different than my, my son, who's five, and my son, who's four. They all have different needs. Some need more hugs. Some people need more attendance at volleyball games. But I deal with them uniquely. And I think the same thing when we talk about money. Maybe one of your children are self-sufficient. Maybe they don't need a lot of money. Maybe they are getting a tons of scholarship. You don't have to worry about that. But maybe the other one, they may need a little bit of help. So having those conversations and that intent and that self-reflection is going to help you make a better decision. And like Kaylin said, when you come to a professional, we can ask those questions that the average investor doesn't know to ask. Not that you're not intelligent enough to ask those questions, but you just don't know what questions to ask yourself. And coming to Kaylin, she will address those for you. She'll say, hey, these are the questions. This is what we're gonna do and we can move forward. So I love that, love that, love that. Um, I can stay on this all day, but let's get to some solutions here, right? So we've gone over the prototype of the person that you serve. We've talked about some case studies where you've resolved some problems with prenuptial agreements. We've identified what they are, what they're used for. We even talked about some of the challenges that you may see from some people who may be dealing with prenuptial agreements or need prenuptial agreements. But let's talk about solutions, right? So what are some things that people can do to kind of resolve this perspective on prenuptial agreements? Let's say they're in a situation. They know they need a prenuptial agreement. What would you say to those people to say, you know what? Go ahead, go forward with it. My first piece of advice for them is get on the same page as much as possible prior to actually starting the process. So have some really frank conversations about why do you think you need a prenuptial agreement? And especially if it's just one person really asking for one versus the other. Um, but both people need an opportunity to share you know, if we're going to make this agreement, what are the underlying fears that you have that this agreement could address? And, you know, we've all got underlying fears about the future. Some of them cannot be addressed in a prenuptial agreement, but, you know, bring up the ones you think maybe can and, and kind of do that, that walking back process that I was describing, because if the more you understand someone's underlying desires and fears, the more comfortably you are going to be able to navigate that process of actually figuring out what terms should go in the agreement. So just know each other as well as possible going into it. Perfect. So let's say that somebody, they hear you, right? They're listening to this episode. They get you. They're going to get on their Google machine and they're going to start looking up different things. Do you have a resource? Because people want to hear from you. Right. Because Google, we don't know who's writing that stuff, right? <laughs> but they know that you're here. Do you have any tips um, that they can have or they can take advantage of that's going to help prepare them for a prenuptial agreement or get them in the right direction so they know what questions to ask? I have a guide on my website, on my blog for couples to use. This is for like any kind of money conversation, but it's a guide for how to talk through a lot of these difficult conversations. So i recommend taking a look at that for prenup specific resources uh i don't i don't get any money for this but there is a company called hello prenup 
And they're a really, really great resource just for educating yourself. Everything that they researched to put together this online product, and it's an online tool where you can make your own prenup, they have just put it on their website. They're not like holding it secret until you pay the fee. If you just want to go learn, you can just go to their website. They have a lot of states on there. They don't have every state. Even if your state's not on there, you can still learn a ton from them. And uh, it's really digestible too. And it, it's got a lot of suggestions for terms that you can include in a prenup, which is important because if you are, if two people are coming from really different financial situations, in order to land on an agreement that you think is fair, you're going to need some creative clauses in there. Like, you know, if only one person has assets and the other person only has debt, prenuptial agreement that just protects that person's assets and makes that person's debt theirs, that's not going to feel very fair no, in the end. So there are a lot of suggestions on there for, you know, other things you can include so that both parties really feel like this is an agreement that takes care of both of us. Well, that's, that's great. So let's let's talk about the cool stuff okay. about prenuptial agreements, right? <laughs> so so, so we, we, we've actually broke down, like I said, a lot of the stigmas, a lot of the things that we have preconceived in our mind. So at this point, all of our listeners should know that prenuptial agreements should be very neutral when we are approaching them. I don't want you to be hot about them. I don't mm -hmm. want you to be cold about them. I don't want you to think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I don't want you to think that they're the most evil thing since, you know, Satan, right? So I want you to have this neutral approach and says, is this a tool that we can use to help facilitate our family forward and manage our finances? That's how I want you to look at it. Okay. So I, I don't want you to say, oh, oh, they have a prenuptial agreement. They must not be doing well in their marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but the majority of people don't have prenuptial agreements and the statistics are still high. So let's stop associating it. Is there's a difference between correlation and causation. There's two difference. Okay. So let's talk about the cool things. So give me your top three cool things about a prenuptial agreement that people be like, wow, that is awesome. Okay. I do like that. Uh, my favorite thing about prenups is that you can include terms that would compensate a spouse for leaving their job to take care of the family. And I just, I mean, in a world where it feels like it's hard to, to feel valued when you are the spouse that stays home, I'm not in that position, but I know that's a struggle. This is something you could put in, agreement, in an agreement that literally says, this work is monetarily valuable and in some way. My second favorite thing you can do with a prenuptial agreement is include estate terms that say what would happen to your assets at death. And the reason I love that is because both spouses have to agree to make a change to it. Now, if you wait and you just put those terms in a will instead, anyone can go change their will anytime. And only one person has to make those changes. But if it's in your prenuptial agreement, you both have to agree to make changes later. So if someone, you know, wants to include some friend or distant relative and the other spouse is like, I'm not so sure. I think they're playing you or, you know, they're feeling suspicious, you know, like you get to both be a part of that decision if those terms are in your prenuptial agreement. That's all. Can I get one more? Can I get one more? I'm going to squeeze, squeeze okay. you out. One more favorite thing. Well, kind of a fun thing that I'm seeing is that people, you can include terms around who would get a, a pet. 
So who would have rights to a pet mm. if they got divorced? That's interesting. And、uh, like one of the couples that I talked to recently, they have three cats. And they decided two cats would go to one spouse if they got divorced, and one cat would go to the other. And I asked how they made that decision because they got all their pets together when they were already in a relationship. And they said it was purely based on just who the cats liked best. It's already clear to them who the cats liked best. So, <laughs>、right. uh, and I, I、right. did ask them, has that affected their relationship with their cats? You know, knowing like, hey, that's your cat. Um, and they said, no, like they laughed. They said, absolutely not. It just, I mean, it's just a, an agreement that, of course, you know, hopefully they never need, just like insurance. And you know, I get insurance, and it doesn't affect me. I don't, I don't、yes. think more about death after having life insurance. That's big, because that's one of the biggest challenges for life insurance too. People are afraid to talk about death. They're afraid to talk about what's going to happen if one of us.、Um, Passes away too soon, or you know, God calls us home. Right, we're all on God's timing, so we never know when things are going to happen. Like you said before,、right. it's either going to be by death or it's going to be by divorce. You know, there's only one or two ways that this is going to occur. I do want to shout out a few of my clients here because they are pet lovers, so their pets are like their children as well. So I definitely want to、um, say hello to them because、um, they are very close to my heart. They know who they are.、Uh, I'm not going to say their names, but、um, the initials are BP. But you know, thank you for、um, being one of my great clients、um, at our firm. We really, we really enjoy him and his his wife and and their cats as well. So, with that said, Caitlin, we are going to play a little game. All right. If you've been listening to the show, it is one of our favorite games. It's called Ten for Ten,、mm-hmm. and not to be confused with ESPN's Thirty for Thirty because don't want to get sued. But this is where our guest answers ten questions, and they get ten seconds to answer each one. Are you ready? I think so. You、yeah. sure? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. So we are going to start this game, and what that means if Kaylin gets the right answer, you will hear a. If she gets it wrong, you will hear a. Question number one: Many people believe that if you didn't sign the prenuptial agreement, that it's too late. But we know that is false. We discussed postnuptial agreements, and with that said, can you name a circumstance when someone would consider a postnuptial agreement? Somebody leaving their job to take care of the family is a really common and great great scenario to consider a postnuptial agreement. All right. Question number two: What is something that can nullify a prenuptial and not make it enforceable? Usually, if a prenuptial agreement was made under coercion, which you would need to be able to prove,、um, or distress, or like you know, in the hallway at the church before the wedding,、uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> We only got ten seconds, Caitlin.、Okay. We only have ten seconds. Okay, okay. I thought it was like ten seconds to start answering. <laughs> Okay, ten seconds、shorter. per question. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's the name of the game. So, one and one. That's okay. okay. Number three. Do prenuptial agreements include children in custody? No, they cannot. Number four. What do you do if parties move from one state to another? In which state is the prenuptial agreement enforceable, and will they need to create a new one? It, the prenup is enforceable in any state. And the states respect each other's 
prenuptial agreements, just like wills and trusts. Number five, if someone is misled in the process, are there any recourse a person can take to amend the document once it is signed? Yeah, you can amend a prenuptial agreement and that would probably be in the form of a postnuptial agreement or you could just amend it, yeah. Number six, why should someone choose you over a general financial planner who just talks about being a fiduciary? Someone should choose me because I believe there are no situations where couples can't get on the same page. Number seven, how can someone reach out to you and you can't say your website? On Instagram at Kaylin Dillon Financial. Number eight, what's your favorite prenup clause? My favorite, I said, was is really that compensation for leaving a job is really my favorite. Number nine, what's one thing couples should know before they get a prenup? They should know how important it is to get on the same page before they really start the process and just educate themselves. Number 10, down in Cajun country in the Southern Louisiana state, we have a seasoning called Creole seasoning and the nickname is the Holy Trinity. Can you name the ingredients? Oh man, I am not going to know. My husband would definitely know. Um, Paprika, <laughs> bell peppers, onions, and celery. The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity mm. Creole seasoning. What everything is stuffed with down here. I might have marriage problems after getting that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did an excellent job on 10 for 10. Please, please give yourself a round of applause. But give yourself a round of applause. I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners? Let them know where they can get in contact with you, um, because I want to make sure that everyone who has a prenuptial circumstance in which they need to resolve or they need to implement, I want to make sure that they reach out to you. Yeah, they can reach me at my website. It's kaylindillonfinancial.com. That's also my, Kaylin Dillon Financial is my name on most social media. So you can find me on those platforms. The only other thing that I just really want people to know is that there is no reason, no circumstance where two people can't really feel great about their future together. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And and I, I would be remiss, and, and I know we, we're, we're about to go, but I, I want you to talk about your book just real oh, yeah. quickly. Please, please, please bring up your book. I don't want yeah. to um, leave the podcast without. I am working on a book. It's going to be a guide for couples that are considering a prenuptial agreement or that already have one. And it will walk them through what should we consider prior to starting the process? What are our options for getting one and pros and cons of each approach? Uh, as well as what should we be keeping in mind while we're managing our finances during marriage. Also includes a lot of personal stories from people that have had prenuptial agreements or wished they had one. It's been a really great way to gather some people's stories that I think will be good for people to hear because too often we think we're the only people in our situation and most of the time it's not the case. Most, most money things and marriage things are pretty common. We just aren't comfortable talking about it. And and please, Kaylin, where can they email you, reach out to you just in case they're like, you know what? I love this book. It sounds great. I want to get on the mailing list because when it comes out, I want to get it. 
where can they send an email? Yeah. Where they go to your website? Yep. You can, my email address is right on my website, kaylindillonfinancial.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there. You will, the newsletter will certainly announce once the book is available. Um, there's also a contact form on there. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, my tithing titans and my gifting gals, that is it from financial advisors say the darndest things. If you're not subscribed to our show, and I want you to receive this Christian resources if you're not. It's four biblical principles every Christian should know about investing and creating generational wealth. Just go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com backslash podcast. Enter your name and email and start fellowshipping with thousands of listeners and tithing Christians just like you. Stay informed on upcoming guests, download free Christian resources, and be notified of special access codes for bonus material. Thank you, Kaylin, for coming on to the show. You have been a blessing. And once again, I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. I hope that you've been blessed. As always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgeway, owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should have God in it. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686. Or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC a registered investment advisor which produces a podcast show and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Elijah on Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become AB Ridgeway Wealth Management client pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast, Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnest Thing podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.